This is Asasi Podcast, enabled by Asasi Radio. The time is 7.12 p.m. Today is the 2nd of December, 2021. Good evening and welcome to Asasi Business Roundtable with me, Kwek Radboli. Tonight, we will be discussing the impact of, par- of the parliamentary impa- impasse over the 2022 economic budget and the economy with our guest, Emmanuel Amoa Darkwa, economist and partner at CKADD Global. Asasi Business Roundtable is brought to you by Ghana Shippers Authority. Importers and exporters in Ghana pay huge sums of money in demurrage as a result of delays in clearing goods at the ports. The Ghana Shippers Authority wishes to remind importers and exporters that demurrage is an avoidable cost if they process their documents for clearing their goods at the ports long before the goods arrive. To avoid demurrage payment, shippers should plan their shipments before importation of goods, negotiate with shipping lines for extra free days at the time of placing their orders, monitor the arrival of shipping vessels at the ports, engage a credible clearing agent to possess all declarations ahead of the arrival of goods at the ports, obtain all permits or, expe- or exemptions where necessary before the arrival of goods at the ports, prepare for payments on imported goods ahead of arrival of goods, promptly pay for all related charges of handling and transportation to take delivery of goods from the port. Importers and exporters are also encouraged to visit our offices at West Ridge, Accra, Ridge, Kumasi, Chapel Hill, Takradi, Gonhebini, Tamale, or at our shipper complaints and support units at the Aflao, Akanu, Paga, and Elubo borders, Takotel, Takradi Port, or Cargo Village, KIA, for assistance with your shipping challenges. Call us on 0303 9533746 or toll free on 0800 3000. 55. Visit our website at www.shippers.org.gh. Ghana Shippers Authority, providing shipping solutions. This week has been a remarkable moment in our evolution as a democracy, where what we thought was a constitution that was clear, transparent and concise has become the battleground between a governing party attempting to push through their budget and legislative agenda and an opposition party determined to give the governing party a bloody nose whilst shouting on behalf of the Ghanaian people. Ghanaian's democratic systems were built as a hybrid of the French, British and American systems. The defining characteristics of those systems is their adversarial foundation, often described by two main parties with supposedly competing interests who pit themselves against each other. In theory, the cut and thrust of debate and battle forces the two sides to recognize the vested interests of the people that voted them into power and thus, inch by inch, policies are refined until they reach the best possible fit for the collective interests of an entire society. Vested interests have always worked in two ways, one of two ways. We must all either decide that we will work together or retreat to our small corners, act on our own, and fight every idea in front of us. The past few weeks have been about the preparation and presentation of the 2022 budget. Last week, the minority side of parliament voted to reject the 2022 budget because they felt it would deepen the hardships being faced by the ordinary Ghanaian as the fiscal policy contains what they labeled obnoxious taxes. On Tuesday, the majority reversed the decision that was arrived at on Friday to reject the budget under the speakership of Speaker Alban Bagbin. The minority 
who were unhappy with the move, also filed a, mo a motion of, of rescission on Wednesday in an attempt to get the House to throw out the 2022 budget again. This led to a frenzy in the chamber with some unhappy minority MPs snatching the Speaker's chair and taking it away in rather unedifying scenes in the Houses of Parliament. But does this impasse have any effect on our economy in any way? After a national election, the Ghanaian people chose a hung parliament, and this was perhaps the system's way of telling us to get our acts together, the people's way of asking for a new way forward, to increase our expectations and to work towards a much bigger benefit and outcomes, better outcomes for Ghana because our economy has finally matured. But then, from the look of things, from some areas, it looks that it looks as though some people are looking back at the back back to the halcyon days of our littleness, because it's easier to understand the pettiness, to find purpose in the daily battles, than it is to do the hard work of understanding complex global systems, and understanding our place in a world that we belong to as a frontier economy. Perhaps. Or perhaps everyone wants to be the first to have taken us there, so we are determined to pull down the person who is taking us there now. Today, I want to have a conversation with Emmanuel. And the conversation we want to have is an open one, where we search, we talk about the current system and the state of affairs today. We look at efforts that are being made to change the state of affairs today. And we look forward to a state which in which Ghanaians will be seen as equals on a global stage. Welcome, Emmanuel, to Business Roundtable. Asasi Business Roundtable. My name is Kweku Arboli and I'm your host. To introduce again, Emmanuel Amoa Darkwa, economist and partner at CKADD Global. Emmanuel, welcome. Thank you very much, Koko. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, my question for you to this is one which perhaps everyone has forgotten to keep asking. What was your view of the 2022 budget? Thank you very much. Um, the 2022 budget... Um, to start with because of our current conditions in terms of the fiscals. So fiscals basically talking about revenue and expenditure needed to take bold decision and also towards fiscal consolidation whereby we also want to reduce the budget deficit. And so government had to take some drastic measures to show up revenue at the same time also curtail some of the expenditure allocations. And so it was a budget um, to towards fiscal consolidation, as I have mentioned. And so we're expecting some level of re new revenue measures, but the option chosen is what has become very problematic and that has so led us here. Yes. Yeah. So this is the E-Levy, uh, yeah. which was um, which was the central pillar of this, this budget, designed to raise up to over six and a half billion CDs a year yeah. um, from our own money locally, yeah. so we don't need to get it from outside. Right. Um, 
What is it about the e-levy that has caused such controversy? Thank you very much. A couple of reasons about e-levy. Ghanaians have come to embrace the use of mobile money. And in the past 10 years or so, the volumes of transaction has been, you know, doubling or even tripling. And the last count in 2020, we are told that 500 million uh, billion are traded on uh, in terms of transactions on mobile money. So government otherwise that this is an area I can also get in there if I want to widen the tax net and if I want to also show up revenue mobilization. And so the government wanted to also go into the sector and see how best the government can raise revenue. A couple of reasons about why it has become controversial. The first one is the cost of it in terms of the percentage, 1.75%. A lot of people think that even if government wants to veer into such an area, it should be slow because it should be progressive. So 1.75 to start with is on the high side. Mm. The second reason is the mode of implementation. When the finance minister read a budget, um, even in people in government, people, some uh, government officials were explaining the mode of implementation in different ways. Uh, if you look at the mode, E-Levy has three legs, as we have been told, mobile money transactions and remittances. And then the third one is um, those who use POS and QR code. Uh, this, these are the three legs of the, uh, where the tax will be, uh, you know, uh, slapped 1.75. But implementation and how it's going to be implemented it has become something that a lot of people think that um, government has not explained that well. And so they are not too you know, comfortable with that. And then the third reason will be the impact of such a levy on what we call a cash-like economy. Ghana is a developing country is making frantic efforts to go towards cash-like. And so these are the three main reasons why, you know, a lot of people are up in arms and think that uh, this is not an ideal time for us to have an e-levy. And so that is where we are. Understood. Now, the situation is that um, the budget was rejected on Friday. Yeah. Um, it was uh, re-accepted this week. Yeah. Um, and now a, a petition has been put to get it rejected again. Yeah. Um, do you think that the, parliament, the parliamentary process that the budget has gone through has allowed for any form of real collaboration and negotiation to happen over issues like the e-levy and elsewhere in the budget? Great. Uh, even before the budget was presented, the question we should ask ourselves is what level of consultations were done? Um, in as much as government, the executive arm of government, wants to present um, its fiscal policy or economic document for the year to the legislature, I think stakeholders involved should be consulted at some level. If you want to you know, introduce a new tax, who are the major stakeholders in there? In that field and so we are hearing that even telcos were not properly engaged mm -hmm. and also even consumers thereof uh, according to government there was a research done whereby 10,000 people were interviewed on uh, implementation of such a tax and so I believe it should start the question should be what level of consultations or engagement went on before the budget was even finalized and read in Parliament and then the next question will be after the budget, I know that parliamentarians will go for a forum to discuss. So what level of consultations were also done 
to have avoided where we are because um in as much as we there's a fracas between the minority and the majority it has impact on our economy yeah. short term medium term and long term and and it's a it, thank you for raising the fact that there are impacts on the economy yeah. on 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 the machinations of, of parliament and yeah. the cut and thrust of the arguments that are being yeah. made by two sides um what what are the effects on the economy short medium and long term what yeah. have you seen in the, in the last weeks that that reflect what might come from this argument great uh, so in the short term you know the investment communities you know um, they are looking at what is happening and the government's budget is is uh, you will be able to assess how government's position is through the budget because through the budget government will want to put up some revenue measures some expenditure measures the budget deficit the public debt and these macroeconomic indicators investors look at it and be able to analyze whether investing in ghana will be profitable or otherwise and so i believe that in the short term investors have uh, you know they are just looking at what is happening but in the medium term parliament will be rising before 20th of december yes and if Ghana's fiscal year runs from January to December, and so if we are not able to get this budget passed, it means that we cannot do anything in terms of even collecting revenues because there should be uh, an appropriation bill that is uh, voted and accepted by the House. You know, compensation to government workers, interest payments, it means that all these things will not be able to, uh, you know, undertake. And uh, government will, I come to a halt, and that is where we don't want but to this, get to. But this, this, I mean, this is a simple fact. We can't, no one really expects that, yeah. um, you know, government payroll workers will yeah. not get paid from January yeah. the 1st. Um, my question to you is, you know, doesn't that sharpen everyone's minds? Are there not negotiations happening now in the background? Yeah, yeah, there are negotiations. Uh, when I was coming, I heard that even with this long holidays, uh, leadership of parliament will be meeting. And I think this should have taken you know place. Uh, government has a position. Government has brought up revenue measures. The opposition thinks that it is going to be um, increase the hardship on Ghanaians. Mm. But let's Georgia. I find it fascinating that um, in an adversarial system, yeah, uh, which is a system. Uh, first past the post, winner takes all, yeah. um, that people expect the two sides to have been negotiating. Why do you expect two sides who are ne uh, you know, at loggerheads all the time every day to come together to collaborate on something like the budget, which is the underpinnings of the entire system? Well, even the budget of parliament is also in that same budget. <laughs> and so if it is not passed, parliament will right. really run as an institution. So right. at some level, we need some level of uh, collaboration and consultation. And I believe that it's all about engagement. Looking at the fiscal position of Ghana, I believe that <laughs> government is in a position whereby they cannot afford to let it go. Like I'm scrapping all the e-levy. We are visiting to raise about 6.9 billion. Looking at our fiscal position, uh, revenue to GDP, total revenue to GDP is estimated at 16%. And next year, we want to increase it to about 20%. And these are the revenue measures we have chosen mm. to get to that 20% uh, mark. And so if um, the budget is not passed, or if it is passed without this e-levy, I think uh, government's fiscal is going to be hurt so much. So the chance, so in terms of negotiation now, 
Um, uh, do we have any sense of uh, where the opposition is with regards to how they feel about the levy and yeah. whether they may accept it? Well, from what I'm hearing from the minority, it's either it is scrapped completely. But from government side, I'm sure at some point government will want to reduce or make concessions on that. Uh, but if government is going to you know reduce it we should look at other revenue measures we can put in there what would those other revenue measures be because i mean we've we've there are other measures in the yeah. in the budget but what what's missing that they could have put in well the, the difficult work in ghana is for you to raise the tax paying population from the current 2.3 million to about 12.9 the labor force market is about 12.9 but about 2.3 people are paying a million people are paying taxes that's the difficult work we have to do what about the mason you know, or the carpenter who earns maybe 200 cities this is income but pays nothing only mm -hmm. in terms of taxes and that is a difficult difficult work that successive governments have failed to do and so i believe that this is a step in a you know is a, is a time for us to look at how to solve the problem once and for all that our tax payment as a percentage of GDP as a lower middle income country is very low yeah. you know our peers are doing in excess of 20% we, we have not even gotten to 16% to even talk about 20% and then match up with our peers and if you want to see the development we want to see in a country I think we should do more in mobilizing you know tax revenue now in terms of um, okay so you say you you know, we understand the importance of mobilizing tax revenue. We know that the more revenue the government can raise, the lower our interest rate payments will be and the higher the level of investment coming towards Ghana because our ability to repay is heightened by the more tax we collect. Okay. Um, but if they hadn't gone for the e-levy and six and a half billion, and which is rumored to have been an underestimate in the first place, if they hadn't gone for the e-levy, what other idea is there that could have created such a big return? Great. Um, we always talk about revenue, revenue, but let's also talk about expenditure. But that's the other thing on the other side. Um, how do government also reduce its budget? Because if you are telling the ordinary Ghanaians that uh, we should fasten our bill because we are not in normal times, then what is the commitment of government to reduce such budgetary outline? Because once budgets, uh, government is able to show that, then the people will believe that indeed we are not in normal times. We also have to cut expenditure. Now, on the revenue side, key revenue measure that we have seen that is going to be implemented is the passage of the exemption bill. Because the exemption bill, the estimate shows us that we are losing about 5% to GDP, which is very huge. And even comparing it to ELA, it is so huge. And so I believe that this exemption bill has to be passed, number one, and we'll be able to raise a lot of revenue that we want. The second will be accelerating property payment, property rate payment. Now, government is saying that from 2022, there's going to be a unified platform. And I think there's huge potential for governments to raise a lot of revenue from that side. When I was coming, you see a lot of flashy buildings coming out, but nobody is paying property tax. And so I believe that these are all tax revenue measures that we can you know, get to. And also the extractive sector, 
it's very difficult you know you you have to get the experts to be able to look at the books and say that this is how much in terms of taxes you have to pay but i think it's a technical area that the government has to invest in to build capacity to you know look at that sector because i feel that in the extraction industry we are IMF has recently released a report and quoting a figure which is very huge in terms of how much sub-Saharan African countries are losing through the, you know, the illicit, uh, through non-proper collection of taxes and other fees in that sector. So I believe we have to uh, build capacity to also look at that sector. Okay. Well, that actually has been a very very brilliant review of the budget in fact a lot of the measures that you're mentioning that are required or that we should focus on um were included in the budget such yeah. as property taxes yeah. etc and and i think it, it seems as though um although there was no com uh, consultation of the e-levy that yeah. a lot of the issues and the the areas for revenue generation that the economists are talking about yeah. have been recognized by the government and have been placed in this in this budget on a scale do you think this budget is ambitious? <laughs> in terms of revenue or expenditure? In or? terms of the statement it's trying to make for us as a nation, do you think yeah. it's, you know, on a scale, uh, yeah. between, you know, you know, let's say austerity being unambitious because we're tightening our belt and yeah. huge growth being, you know, going for growth and going for revenue generation. So cutting revenues and going for revenue growth are the two scales. Yeah. Um, would you say this uh, this is an ambitious budget for, well, for the country? Well, at, at such a point, we have to be very frank. Um, twenty twenty was very hard for our government all over the world. Yes. And in terms of um, revenue shortfall, we lost about eleven billion. In terms of expenditure, over around about fourteen billion. So that is huge gap. So you would expect a budget that would put us at least on the ground level before we fly and so it was expected but the measures chosen especially with e-levy is what has become very problematic but when we talk about the entrepreneurship bit of it in a budget i think is fantastic but uh, not everybody can be an entrepreneur some are born to be employers some are born to be employees those who want to go into uh, you know creating jobs should be supported and i have to create that enabling environment for them to thrive uh, young people who want to create businesses should have access to cheap credit and so the new start program is very commendable but in ghana we have very fantastic ideas but implementation has become a challenge and so once government is able to carry it through i think it's going to be fantastic for us to create more businesses in ghana fantastic now our economy stands on the stilts of entrepreneurship yeah okay? um and what's been happening in parliament this week has reminded us that we live in a, uh, in a, in a, in a society driven by, um, uh, by the law and yeah. the letter of the law. Yeah. And in some, in some ways, the argument being had between, member, be, between the two sides of parliament show us that we are an increasingly mature country yeah. that understands that the letter of the law and the interpretation of it all yeah. is central to the confidence that the country builds yeah. and that is the case for businesses in, in the private sector within such a jurisdiction as well um the premise of this conversation is are the, does the machinations of parliament um, affect the economy and does it hold back our businesses, our private sector institutions from pushing forward? What is your view of um, the arguments that are being had and whether or not they are 
positive or negative for the sense of trust and maturity in the economy? <laughs> well, I would say that um, this was expected. Uh, even what happened in, on January 7th, it was clear that uh, a parliament with 137 on each side and then an independent candidate, we should expect something like this. And that is why government should go for a lot of consultation. And whatever policy you want to bring out, you, you, you tell the people on the other side that this is my intention. Then they also express views on it and say, okay, I think you can take this out. I think you can review this and we'll move on. But as it stands now, um, two stance positions. And yesterday, today I was reading that somebody has filed a case in the Supreme Court for interpretation of the two you know judgments on 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 the budget rejection or approval and so we look forward to what is going to happen but even before we get there i believe that leadership of parliament should be talking and let's look at what we can review let's look at what we can put in but this is also a time that government should also be pushed to the world to make decisions that will not be in the best interest of the country but I believe that it's all about, you know, talking. It's all about dialogue and see where we, where we can give and where we can also take. It's fascinating to hear you say that. You know, in the West today, if you read the newspapers and the headlines, in societies built upon these adversarial political systems, the, 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 the headlines always describe a divided society. Yeah. And what you're calling for is for, from the very top, from our two parties and our two-party system, Yeah to come together yeah. as if they're in a council almost <laughs> because historically of course Ghanaians have led by council yeah. um, and so it's interesting that everyone is pushing back at the lack of working together between two parties that are at loggerheads with each other yeah. when really what we want is for them to come together work together to find a solution yeah. and to find a common enemy or, 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 or body to work against on the outside yeah. um, do you think that our political structures, our parliamentary systems, are reflect our character? Um, and is it fair to accept that within an adversarial system, the way we have it, that um, the parliamentarians would work in the way that we intend them to, in terms of our character, our historical character? Yeah, the parliamentarians, uh, they are a reflection of us. And so... They weren't chosen from us, they are just amongst us, and we chose them to represent us in Parliament, 275 of them. And so I believe that with our nature, we believe in dialogue as a people. Even if we cannot solve it internally among parliamentarians, I think there are external bodies, which some of them are even constitutionally mandated to do some of these things. I believe that the Council of State you know, the Peace Council, some prominent people should be able to talk to both sides and let them know the implications of what is going on. Because once Parliament rises, it's going to be very difficult for us to get this passed. Maybe they have to come back again during the holidays to come and, you know, pass the bill. But even before we get there, I believe that leadership should be able to talk to each other and the majority side and minority side. And let's see... Uh, whether we'll be able to. I, I think that there's a time that government should not be pushed too much to make decisions that will be, uh, you know, not be good for the country. At the same time, government should not be able to impose policies that will be linked to um, depriving the people. And 
I believe that there should be a fine balance. Government intends to do good for the people. So they were elected to government to you know, help solve our problems and also improve our living standards and not the other way around. So historically, the way in which governments have, have, been, have been pushed and cajoled towards outcomes that meet the interests of the people, to some extent, has been through the use of lobbying. Um, should there be a mechanism for a, le for a legally required bipartisanship that works on solutions based on strict timelines? You've talked about timelines and, yeah. and how difficult it is because we've got a hard deadline at the end yeah. of December. Um, should there be sort of a legal requirement that they come up with solutions based on a timeline? Because the fragmented nature of parliamentary negotiations means that sometimes the timelines cause us to be in a position where markets might decide that we've not made a decision in time, there's a hard deadline, people aren't going to get paid, yeah. and then they dump our bonds and we pay a higher price to borrow money. Um, whereas if we had lobbying structures, which it seems are not so strong in Ghana yeah. yet, and not so, so well developed, if we had lobbying structures, then there would be ways in which to cajole and bring people together to... Yeah, maybe it is a time that we should be having proper structures of lobbying, because... Uh, it's all about interest and why do you represent a particular interest? What do you expect to gain from a particular policy? And then how can we also achieve the entire, you know, development that we want in a country through what parliament does? And so I believe that maybe there's a time for us to consider properly, you know, legal uh, lobbying structures for us to know that this is what these people do and this is uh, their interest and so that we will, you know, be on the same page and develop. <laughs> I find it, again, fascinating. Yeah. Um, because there's, you know, we're talking about a future state that yeah. we want to get to. Yeah. One where um, political leadership works together, they, they, they can communicate and openly they lobby they, they 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 work together before policies are put together yeah. we have lobbyists to represent the various interests yeah. of the various groups in the country um that has not been the case until now yeah. um what do we need to actually change great great yeah you know sometimes just going through my mind in some parts of the world when government wants to bring up a policy government presents a paper on such a policy and then you invite stakeholders, civil society, you invite ordinary people to make contribution to it. So, for instance, government is thinking of taxing mobile money. So, government will develop a white paper and say that this is my idea that I want to tax this system. Now, let's involve, let's invite those involved. You talk up to the telcos, you talk to the merchants, you talk to the ordinary Ghanaian and see their input and to be able to let you come up with a very quality public policy. Public policy, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I remember that government has removed tools, but people are also agitating that this is what we were doing. And so it is not easy for government to arrive at policy, public policy that will favor everybody, but there should be some level of balance. And so I believe that going forward, we should take this thing seriously. When government wants to come up with a very serious policy like this, let's government should present a paper 
invite the rest to also make contributions into it. At the end of the day, we want to develop our country, and that is what governments have been, you know, elected to do to help us develop. I think as a mature democracy, this is where we should be heading towards, even in procurement and even in some of the contracts that we sign. And so, you, you want to give, I'll give an example that um, um, we want to have. Um, medical drones and so government says that this is what i want to do you invite people to also make input into it i think some people might even have other brilliant ideas that when we adopt we'll be able to get to where we want to get to and so there's a time for us to maybe government wants to implement a policy uh, do a white paper invite people to make contributions into it, and then we'll be able to arrive at a, a decision or policy that will be near to the benefit of Ghanaians. Now, communications, you know, clearly plays a central role in policy acceptability, yeah. right? And that's effectively what you've talked about there. You know, if, if you have a town hall, yeah. you bring forward a difficult idea, yeah. and everyone in the town hall has an opportunity to discuss, sure. actually that removes some of the sting of more difficult policy Great. and gets more acceptance. Great. Um, so that's effectively what you've dis just yeah. described to us, yeah. Emmanuel. Yeah. Um, but the issue is that the preparation of the budget in Ghana has historically been shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. Why is that? And <laughs> how do you change culture that is so sticky? Well, I, I won't be able to say that it has been shrouded in secrecy. I think there's a committee that sits on it. But even before that day, um, finance ministry would accept budget from ministries, departments, and agencies. And even, I'm sure, metropolitan, municipal, and district assemblies of where they think their revenues and expenditure will be coming from so inform uh, how government will you know put its fiscal and so um it is it, it, it i'm not sure it is shrouded in secrecy as well but i think there should be more engagement and so especially some of these these are public policy decisions uh, that will affect every Ghanaian. and i believe that Maybe this is a time that, as in, in Ghana, we have to engage more, let the people know what we want to do, so that it doesn't look like government does not mean war, but right. government means war for you. Okay, so if it's not shrouded in secrecy, <laughs> why do we all end up acting surprised when he reads the budget out in Parliament? Like, you guys must, some people must have known about the E-Levy beforehand. Why was everyone surprised? <laughs> That's a good question, but that, it all boils down to consultations. Um, who was consulted in such a policy? And so I believe that maybe it's about broadening the consultations and giving a lot of time before you prepare a budget. And the budget preparation has a process, and I believe that there's a time for us to maybe expand the process and see how we get the input of people so that once the budget is read, we are not all surprised, but it's something that is really near to our benefit and so we will embrace. It's not easy to be in government. And I believe that there's a time that the executive arm of government is so many things are going through their mind and the options that they have chosen and people are not happy about it. And so uh, I'm not sure it's totally shrouded in secrecy, but we need a lot of engagement and to consult more. Now, the tone of our conversation has been, although you've been very clear that you think yeah. that there are elements of the budget that um, are difficult for, um, for, for Ghanaian people and yeah. that the E-level level was too high, etc. Yeah. Um, and um, 
our conversation has been very constructive and not combative. Um, yeah. Although you, you sit on both sides of the fence. Yeah. Um, so I can ask you this question. Great. Right? Okay. Um, and, and, and I'm going to ask the question. Great. Which we started with. Yeah. Which is, this stuff that's going on in Parliament and this fight over the budget, yeah. does it actually have an impact on the economy? Will it, is it actually stopping us? Is it harming us? Or is this conversation part of the actual negotiation and therefore it's, it's constructive? Well, the parliament is hanged or people call near hang, whatever it is. And so we would express some of these things. But its impact, has, as I have said, um, the fiscal year for 2022 has not ended. We have just about uh, today's second. Mm. So we have up to 31st. But the 2022 budget should be passed before that. Otherwise, it's going to be very problematic for government because some of these things in the budget we will have to pass legislations that will cover it. Right. For example, you want to come up with e-levy. There should be a proper legislation that will cover it. And so I believe that there's a time that uh, we should negotiate more. I think we are in a very difficult position. The fiscal does not look good. And so government is looking for ways to generate a lot of revenue. Maybe if government have some, has got some brilliant idea, then we should be able to bring it up. But um, it looks like ELV is um, a no-go area. Or maybe the rate is uh, so, so high. Personally, I believe in winding the tax net. But we have to do the difficult work. I always say that it's not going to happen in a day but it's going to be gradual so how do you bring those people who are selling on the street who are earning income artisans that is a very difficult thing to yes. do how do you translate the almost 17 million card holders about 12 million working population how do you translate them to contribute their quota it's not about the rate the high rate but if everybody should be able to contribute something small to building a nation then we reduce our borrowing. You know, as I speak to you now, for two years running, interest payment as, is higher than compensation to government employees. It tells you the high. It tells you the level of our borrowing, which is uh, too high. And then, if you are not careful, we, we are going to sacrifice uh, the medium-term prospect of the country on the altar of high interest rates so you, and then public debt. You, you characterize this as difficult. Um, and the finance minister characterizes as the sharing of burden, yeah. um, um, and that everyone should should contribute their part. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you think there's a potential for companies like MTN to for perhaps follow Vodafone? So Vodafone don't charge yeah. for mobile money transaction. So if the private institutions were to reduce their charges yeah. to zero, and yeah. the, the that would effectively be like burden sharing, <laughs> and would reduce the overall cost to the I get it to I the it. to the but, but yeah, the private money is in to make profit, you know, and but but they but they're in to make profit in the in the global capitalist system they're in to make profit, but this is Ghana and yeah. we're talking about burden sharing. Yeah. Is there? Is there a consideration on their part to reduce their charges so that the government doesn't have to reduce the e-levy and, you know, it's like a transfer? Well, that's why there should be negotiations. And I believe that on the side of the telcos, they also incurring to create a mobile money platform. It's not easy. 
they have been doing this MTM, for instance, for the past 10 years. When they started in mobile money, I remember a friend of mine who registered me. They had to employ a lot of people to run people through how to operate the service. So they've incurred a lot of cost. But uh, if you are talking about burden sharing, what can government do for the private institution to also thrive? I know that private institutions in their mind will also want to help government to achieve the goals that the government wants to achieve. Uh, but I believe that it's all about communication, it's all about dialogue, so that once you plan of putting um, a tax on e-levy, at, at implementing e-levy, you should engage them to the latter because they are the, providing the, um, the platform for us, even though I know that some banks have started with, with mobile money, but uh, this is what we know and this is what we have been doing uh, for some time now. Okay, I'll give you another example. Yeah. SMS text messages. Yeah. Okay. You know they don't really incur any costs. They've built their infrastructure. Sending text messages don't incur any costs. And yet in Ghana, most mobile companies charge for every text message you send. Yeah. Elsewhere in the world, you send text messages all day for free. Okay. So, again... Well, it depends on the technology and the kind of system they've built. And someone made an analysis of um, the costs in providing services, telco services, and use an example of um, a company in Singapore. It's the same technology. I mean, Vodafone in the UK, yeah. Vodafone in Ghana, well, MTN in South Africa, MTN in Ghana, MTN in Nigeria... So, so you suspect no that the wheel here. Yeah, so you suspect that uh, you, they they can come down in terms of their cost. And um, well, uh, I, I'm not speaking for them anyway. I think some of the charges are high. No two ways about that. But why are they high? That is a question we also have to ask ourselves. If they also incurring a lot of cost to provide us the service that we are enjoying then we should look at how best they can reduce their cost so that they also reduce their cost to the customer. And maybe I think there's a time that we should have some difficult conversations with telcos and also banks. You know, we, we are, we've left banks out. You know, banks are declaring, uh, you know, superficial, uh, huge profits. But let's ask ourselves their level of contribution to the, the, this burden sharing. How much of credit are they releasing to the private sector to spare up growth? And so these are all difficult conversations that, apart from telcos, let's talk about banks. Let's talk about other institutions that we believe that they can do more to ease the burden of the Ghanaian. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I you know, if you look at MTN, for example, they made 1.4 billion CDs in profit last year, a 34% increase on the previous year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they raised 100 million CDs earlier this year yeah. uh, in a private share offering, in a public share offering, sorry. Um, they're not struggling for capital and they're not struggling for performance or profits. Cool. Um, <laughs> in terms of burden sharing, it's a serious yeah. question. In terms of burden sharing, yeah. should these private institutions reduce their charges so that definitely definitely but you also have to engage with them why what is the component of their costs mm -hmm. we should be looking at what do they what cost do they incur to put up their technology that we are enjoying what can government do about uh, you know reducing the cost of their operations and not only for telcos but also for banks because if we're talking about burden sharing all other sectors should be involved 
so that banks are declaring profit profits every year about yeah. access then I ha there is high interest rates in, in, in Ghana. Lending rate is uh, averaging around 20%. And they are declaring huge profit. Uh, how much uh, credit have they given to the private sector? It's even been declining. So these are all difficult questions that I think stakeholders should be able to have a private sector. There's no country now that government can do everything. It's, it's a collaboration between public and, and the private sector and see how best we can develop. And so these are difficult conversations that we should start having with the private sector former former we're coming to the end now we got a few yeah. minutes left and, well, and yeah. uh, perhaps this is my last question we'll see but um okay. former singaporean prime minister um Ye, uh, lee kuan yu um he, i think he said that asians don't asians don't mind suffering in the present for a long-term benefit and but what we're looking at in Ghana, it looks like our parliament is always trying to convince us there's an easy way out, that there's an easy solution, that we don't have to do that much work, that there's money to be found from somewhere. You know, we raised three billion, we raised five billion. But we need to tighten our belts. We need to dig deep. Yeah. We need to suffer in the short term yeah. for the massive gains. To be. Yeah. You know, if we, let's look at some stats. You know, the minimum wage in Ghana is something around 12 CDs sure. per day. Sure. Um, the minimum wage in the UK is something around 15 pounds per hour. Yeah. It effectively means that a typical a average Ghanaian earns about $1,900 a year, mm -hmm. whereas an uh, average British person yeah. earns minimum wage of 1800 yeah. per month. Okay, so effectively, um, the average the average Ghanaian is about 25, 35 times less valuable based on their wage yeah. compared to a British person yeah. doing exactly the same job. Take someone in KFC in Ghana in Accra mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. someone in KFC in London, yeah. and it's a 35 times multiplier. Yeah. So what we're really working for is a complete basis change, right? Like. You know, in small incremental games is not the game we're playing. The game we're playing is trying to catch up to the rest yeah. of the world, which means yeah. we need huge incremental games. Yeah. Um, are we ready to put in the suffering that's required to make those games as a nation, as a people? Well, I think sincerely start from leadership. And um, if leadership is showing that we are ready to tighten our belt as leaders, then the citizenry will be ready. I'm not sure that the ordinary Ghanaian would not want to contribute their quota, but it's all about people who ask you, so the taxes, what are they using it for? Mm. And that's the big question. Government should be able to show commitment that this is the tax I collected from you, and I have been able to diligently account for it. Look at the losses we see in our Auditor General's report every year. It tells you that the commitment of government and government institutions in cutting the losses it's not there so some people believe that oh, these people they are not ready to tighten their belts so why should i contribute more and i believe that as a nation this is a critical moment of the nation's life whereby we should be able to look at leadership changing course for citizenry to also follow ghana is a great nation we have a great future but dreams we can dream about it but we have to act if we don't act it's never going to happen so i believe that it's time that leadership should be able to show you know um, some level of commitment to cutting unnecessary expenditure so that the citizen will be committed to also contribute more and 
share in the burden that we are talking about. Ghana is a great nation. Yeah. We have a great future, but we have to act. Definitely. Emmanuel Amwadakwa, economist partner at CKADD Global. Yeah. Thank you for your time this moment. Thank I'm you. Kwek Wadaboli. You've been with us on Asasi Business Roundtable. Good evening. Good evening. This has been Asasi Podcast. Asasi Podcast, a source of unfiltered insights into topical social issues, news trends, and perspectives of influential figures.